and it's time for Dairy Dialogue podcast number 47. No bus routes for you this week, but 47 is the country code for Norway. It takes 47 years for Mars to return to the same position, and it's also the atomic number for silver, none of which are relevant. But we do have three interviews for you, and I didn't have to resort to heading into the fields to try and converse with a Frisian, or in this area, the interesting-looking belted Galloways which will probably send a few of you off to Google to see what they look like. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and it's been another wet and wild week here with a heavy rainfall warning on for today and tomorrow. And of course, my only umbrella is broken, as they do here with the amount of wind that accompanies the rain. I've spent a bit of this week booking flights and hotels for events in the next few months, always a lot of fun researching places to stay and finding flights that don't mean a 12-hour stopover in an airport and aren't anywhere near where you really do want to go. I think for Anuga in Cologne in October I have four flights and have to leave from a different airport to the one I land at. And then, of course, if the UK does leave the EU at the end of October, a week later, I'll be headed to an EU country with an EU-UK passport, not knowing what's going to happen. It may be total chaos. Maybe the first podcast of November will be live from an airport passport control lineup of about a quarter of a mile or a kilometre. Before we get to this week's news, I'll let you know what we have on the show this week. We have three interviews. The first is with Stephen Jones, Managing Director of Summerdale International, whose cheeses have made it into Costco's first store in China. Our US reporter Beth Newhart spoke with Dr. Jordan Balensic, CEO and founder of Aeroputics, developers of a new walnut-based functional beverage, Brain Milk. And I chatted with Arthi Aurora McLean, brand communications lead at Scottish eco-friendly packaging company Vegware, about their new compostable gelato cups. And of course, we also have a weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. And so to this week's news, which you can check out on dairyreporter.com as it's updated daily. Definitely a busy news week. We had a story on new advice from Australia's Heart Foundation on dairy products. Nestle and Laticinio Bellavista signed a UHT milk partnership in Brazil. There was some more half-year financials released this week, including A2 Milk Company in the US and Arla in Europe. And Beth had an interesting article on the growth of Idaho and Texas in the U.S. dairy industry. Alpha Laval has launched its new think top for valve sensing and control units. And there's more. The IDF has issued guidance to help determine milk fat purity. There's been restructuring at Chobani and announcements of job losses at Novozymes and Nestle, which is shutting down a plant in Australia. We had a story on Malaysia looking to be self-sufficient in dairy and a look at some of the new dairy products in the US for August and several more stories as well. I should also mention we got a couple of complimentary emails about the podcast this week, so thank you for those. And in case you were wondering, none were from relatives. Well, unless they went to some extreme lengths to disguise themselves. I'm sure my seven-year-old would just turn the podcast off, and whenever he sees an old video clip of me playing in a band, he just rolls his eyes and walks away shaking his head. There's just no way to be cool with your kids. (music) 
And so to this week's guests. First, in Shanghai, there's a new kid on the block, only it's not exactly new. It's Costco, which opened its first store in China this week. And the opening made the news pretty much everywhere because that first day was chaos, with some people lining up for hours to pay and crowds of people trying to get in. It was so bad they had to close early. There's definitely a dairy angle to the story because some products in the store are from UK cheese exporting company Summerdale International. And we spoke to the company's managing director, Stephen Jones, about the exciting launch into one of the biggest cities in the world. It must have been very interesting to watch those scenes coming out of Shanghai showing how busy the store was on the first day. No, certainly. I mean, just talking to... um... You know, my guy in Shanghai, he said, you know, that had, a, well, originally he said 80,000 um, applications for membership, and but actually they refocused that and said 120,000 at roughly about £30 uh, a head. So that's close to sort of £3.5 million pounds sterling of, um, of membership fees before you sell anything. And if you look at the videos, you saw that, you know, when they opened the doors, people were, you know, sort of fighting to get in. I don't know the impact on ours. I mean, we have a good representation of cheese there. We have five lines of cheese, but, you know, it looked like a lot of people were fighting over the meat and chickens and things like that. But, you know, enough people in there. I think, you know, there were about 2,000 people at a time they were allowing in. Um, hopefully, we'll get a good feedback. We haven't had any feedback on sales yet because um, the buyer's just been swamped with work, so it's, she's been pretty busy. I'll probably get a better feel, you know, early next week on, um, you know, how our products were selling. Right. And, and how did the your cheeses come to be in Costco in the first place? Well, we, we service the 10 warehouses in Australia, and we've been doing that for about four or five years, so they have the range there now. Uh, the buyer has been working in um, Sydney and sort of moved up to Shanghai to help with the opening of the, the uh, Shanghai warehouse. So basically, they, they knew what was selling quite well in uh, Australia and um, just replicated that. So all of the lines in Shanghai are ones that we have in the Australian warehouses. So... Um, you know, they are known to Costco. They, they got Costco, you know, uh, Costco product numbers, Costco pricing, that sort of thing. So um, it was easy to replicate our, um, our Australian operation into the into the Shanghai one. Whether, you know, it will suit the same people, but I, I guess most of the people probably in Shanghai buying our product will be either expats, Americans, Australians, um, who are sort of used to Costco warehouses. Hopefully they'll be the ones picking it up. But it's, you know, it's a whole new area. I mean, Costco, quite interesting in international markets. You know, they seem to have adapted well to different countries. You know, they're in, as well as obviously America and Canada, there are a lot of Asian markets. They're in Taiwan, they're in South Korea, and then they now they're in Iceland, in Reykjavik, they're in Spain, they're in France. So although all Costco stores look very similar when you walk into them, they've obviously adapted to what the, um, what the local market wants. Um, and it seems to be very successful, more so than, you know, a lot of other international retailers who have, have not done as well as Costco. And there is uh, talk that Costco will expand quite considerably within China as well. So that would certainly make a big difference in terms of selling cheese in 100 of them as opposed to one of them. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, China's all about a numbers game. I mean, in, um, in Shanghai alone, you've got 26 million people, which is the same as the population of the whole of Australia. So that's just one city and you've got over 100 cities with more than a million people in you know if, if it works and it'd be interesting to see if it does work because obviously it's an american company in china and you know sort of politics there haven't been particularly um friendly with uh, mr trump and president Xi. but again consumers i think 
probably put politics to one side and say that, you know, it's American products and we want them, you know, the sort of uh, designer handbags and things like that. And consumers at the end of the day say, well, put politics to one side. We, we want the products. So I think, you know, Costco could do very, very well in China. It's certainly got a fairly affluent middle class population of about 300 million people who are well traveled, well educated and fairly financially well off. So they'll see a situation with uh, Costco, with the offerings that Costco have to offer, that uh, it could do very well. Time will tell on that one. I think uh, they'll get a pretty good feel, you know, within the next six months on how how Shanghai's been received. And and obviously you mentioned about Chinese going to other countries and traveling a lot now. They will see your products in different countries, but how will you need to sort of educate on the product? Well, one thing, Costco have a very good demo policy. I mean, if you go into a Costco, you know, during busy times, virtually every aisle has got a demo going on, and they do encourage demos. We participate in demos. We we put a demo package together for Shanghai, and we do it in, in Australia. And, and I think all Costco warehouses benefit from demos, uh, demos and roadshows. And they seem to work. People try the stuff, they tend to buy it. So some of these products are fairly alien to the Chinese, but, you know, the Western Chinese Westerners or people who are Westernized, you know, they've been educated in, in Europe, Australia, or America, you know, are fairly savvy. They understand what a lot of these products are now. So, And they they want to buy a Western lifestyle. So, they you know, they want to drive a Jaguar or BMW or they, you know, they want to buy French wine or, you know, they want to eat cheese, which perhaps the older population never will. But I think the um, sort of the 20 to 40 year olds have had quite a good education and have traveled. I mean, that's the thing I've noticed in China. Travel is or the whole of Southeast Asia, travel is uh, much, much bigger. I mean, someone said uh, by the time you build a third runway at Heathrow, we would have built 80 runways in China, and people are flying everywhere. Uh, flying is relatively cheap. And you have five products in Costco at the moment? Yes, yes. So we've got a good cheddar, coastal cheddar, which is in virtually every Costco around the world. That's made by uh, Ford Farm. It's coastal cheddar. It's, it's a renowned Costco product, a truffle one, a Wednesdaydale with cranberry. We've got a gift pack, and then we've got uh, Mexicana, which is a hot and spicy cheese. And, and I think that'll do particularly well because the Chinese, we have found that um, you know spicy cheese does go well in China. They they tend to like like that rather than say sweeter cheeses. So that might appeal to the Chinese who want spicy burgers and you know and spicy food. So um, be interesting to see how they pick up on that. All right. And shall you expand on your product listing at all once you determine how it's going? Yes, I think so. I mean, one thing Costco like, they like the stable products, but they also like to do special buys. So, for instance, in Australia this year, we're doing a, a cheddar with champagne, and that's going in for Christmas. So, um, you know, we will obviously see how that goes in the uh, in the Australian warehouses. And, and they like to do you know, seasonal buys. They do that on everything, not just on cheese. I don't know if you see in Costco warehouse, you know, they'll see they'll see special purchases. They might buy, you know, ten containers of a particular product, um, and when it's there, it's sold. And so a lot of Costco buyers, they see these things there and they buy them there and then because they know the next time they come in, it probably won't be there. So they're quite smart in putting special buys in, and, and people actually pick them up there and then because they know, um, you know, it's not a regular line. No, we will be presenting, and we do with Australia. We we do. Um, like we're doing the champagne cheddar, which will go in in November and December, and then might not go in until next year again. But um, in the meantime, you know, we'll we'll do some special purchases, special buys. Right, and I think the the, the smaller you have that smaller packaging or the smaller portions, that's yes. probably 
a good idea. Yes, that's too. the other thing. We're looking at offering um, sort of uh, 24, 20 gram pieces of different cheeses so that, uh, again, that's another thing. The um, sort of modern Chinese family, the children take lunch boxes and they realize that, you know, a little 20 gram portion of cheese is, is good for growing children. And also, you know, they quite like having those in the fridge because it, it's not, you know, if you've got a 200 gram piece of cheese and they cut it and they don't like it and they feel it's a waste and it's quite expensive, whereas, you know, 20 gram portions of cheese, there's a variety, they'll um, they'll feel a little easier at buying those because they will stay in the fridge for longer and they won't need opening up or wrapping or anything like that. So so we are developing, for all of Southeast Asia, we're developing sort of 20 gram portions for the home use, but also for food service use, for bars, restaurants, and things like that, uh, airline catering. And you'll find the thing I noticed about Costco when I shop at Costco warehouses here, a lot of the customers are small retailers, so small corner shops will probably go and buy all their stuff from a Costco uh, rather than maybe a distributor because um, they can choose it and, and the price is very competitive. So small convenience stores will probably use Costco as a source of supply as well. And you're already in that uh, market anyway before Costco. You've already entered that Chinese market, so you have some history there. Yeah, we've been in, in China for six or seven years and it's been a steep learning curve because uh, it's very different than the other market it's quite a hard market in terms of food safety you know they're very concerned about um, making sure that all the ingredients in any cheeses if they're other than just milk you know so flavor additives are, are safe there's been so many food scares and so much corruption in china that um, you know they're very concerned on imported products are, are safe to eat in fact you know they're planning a visit to the uk in october i think to do dairy visits and they, they visit all suppliers of meat, dairy, all sort of food products all around the world to um, ensure food safety because it's a big concern for the Chinese. And in fact, they, you know, the Chinese consumer quite likes to buy imported because you know, if it's come from New Zealand, Australia, Europe, or America, they they feel the product is pretty safe. But you know, we've gone through a lot of you know learning on different types of packaging, different types of ingredients. You know, what what's acceptable, what's not, and it's been quite difficult. But I think we're doing quite well there now. So we you know we anticipate the market growing as it as it becomes more sophisticated and more buyers are becoming aware of, of Western products. Now it's over to the US where Beth Newhart talked to Dr. Jordan Balensic, CEO and founder of Aeroputics, which is developing a new walnut-based functional beverage, which will be called Brain Milk. I'm a physician, and this all began last year because I noticed that a lot of patients were bringing in dietary supplements for their doctors to review, and more and more people were bringing in brain health supplements for me to review And I was looking at them and trying to give my patients advice. And I noticed that a lot of the cognitive health supplements on the marketplace contained caffeine and added stimulants that were not healthy for a lot of people. And I realized that the supplement industry and the nutrition industry is growing rapidly, but there was an opportunity to perhaps do better. One case that really comes to mind is an 85-year-old patient that had cardiac arrhythmia problems and coronary artery disease, and they brought in a dietary supplement for brain health for me to look at that had 200 milligrams of caffeine. And I thought, well, that certainly isn't a good choice for a person of that age with those medical comorbidities. So my team and I, Tesla, the co-founder, and some of our advisors were vetting ideas to commercialize a cognitive health supplement 
And after looking at a lot of research, we realized that there was an opportunity to commercialize a natural supplement that contained no caffeine or stimulant-like ingredients, and thus Aeroputics was born. And Aeroputics is a cognitive health company that's dedicated to honesty and transparency in the dietary supplement space. But in looking at the benefits of healthy ingredients in nature and looking at what we could provide to people to, to benefit their cognitive health, we were doing a lot of research and realized that the consumer health trends in dairy alternative, the benefits of walnut those were sort of not unlocked yet for consumers in the cognitive health space. So we realized that our next product, our second product, should be more of a functional beverage to help consumers incorporate healthy plant-based alternatives into their diet and to help them unlock the benefits of walnuts for cognitive health. So that's sort of lengthy, but it gives maybe a background of we launched as a dietary supplement company. We have a supplement on the market that is called Prolimbic 29, and our second product is a functional beverage for cognitive health called Brain Milk. I would say we've been working on this, heavily researching it, looking at uh, consumer trends, doing our own internal research for the last four to six months before we decided to go forward with this. Why exactly walnuts versus, you know, any other plant bases? And why a plant-based milk in particular for, you know, the vehicle for this? We have a research team, and we were looking at, again, what is out there in nature that we can unlock and translate those benefits to consumers to benefit their brain health specifically. And we found that walnuts have 25 years of research that support them as being healthy for the brain. So 25 years of science supports walnuts for cognitive health. Um, you may have heard of the health benefits of walnuts for lowering cholesterol and benefiting heart health, but we looked at it from a completely different angle and found that there is a lot of published research out there that supports it for brain health. And even some articles and publications that support walnuts as being beneficial to Alzheimer's disease, reducing amyloid plaques in the brain in mice models. And we realized that, wow, walnuts have been out there for quite a long time. Americans recognize the health benefits of walnuts, but people can't necessarily incorporate tree nuts into their diet routinely because of issues with chewing and digesting nuts. Also, there's an astringent taste associated with walnuts. Some Americans we're finding in our research don't find the walnut as maybe appealing in taste as they do an almond, for example, because of that astringent taste. And we looked at it and we found that that astringent taste has a lot to do with the antioxidants and polyphenols that are specific to the walnut. It's very high in antioxidants, and it is the only tree nut that's high in omega-3 fatty acids. From a plant source. So out of all the tree nuts out there, the walnut is the highest in omega-3 fatty acids. So we started doing more research and we realized that the dairy alternative trends in America globally are just exploding. And we found that almond milk 
has competed with traditional dairy for the last 10 years and has just been growing. And we're looking at this as, well, almonds are not as healthy as walnuts. So we think that walnuts could be a very real source of nutrition, plant-based nutrition for people. We do not set out at all to compete with dairy. Um, We are looking at this from the perspective of unlocking the benefits of walnuts for consumers. And it just so happens to be that a walnut milk environment, a beverage environment, is a suitable way to deliver that, a nut-based milk. So it's not like we're trying to get people to, you know, change their behaviors if they're used to drinking dairy milk. We're not out there trying to compete with big dairy. We're out there showing people that there are healthy plant-based ways to benefit their cognitive health. And those those ways have been right in front of them all along in the walnut. And we're just giving people a way to incorporate walnuts into their diet in a routine manner that's easy and convenient and tastes good. Is this serving as like a delivery system for something else? Or are you just focused on the benefits of the the walnut? So we're looking to commercialize three flavors or three SKUs. And walnut milk will be the base of each SKU. Um, And each flavor or each SKU will be enriched with other clinically studied superfoods that happen to benefit cognitive health. So we're bringing to market a walnut blueberry Blueberries also have a lot of research that support them for co- to be beneficial for cognitive health. We're also looking at walnut, um, turmeric, and ginger. We're going to call that more of like a walnut golden latte. And we're also looking at unlocking the benefits of the coffee flower or cascara, which is a traditionally discarded and under-recognized superfood Um, Most people go after the coffee bean. That's what the coffee industry is interested in. Well, the coffee flower on the coffee plant is high in nutrition and also is high in antioxidants. And we're looking at combining that with walnut uh, in our our, basically barista-type flavor, the cascara flavor. So we're leveraging other natural, clinically studied superfoods. We are working with our beverage formulators to deliver a beverage that's low in fat but maintains the omega-3 value. Brain milk will be a 12-ounce serving. We want each serving to deliver 1,200 milligrams of ALA omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3s are very beneficial for cognitive health and vascular health. But when you take the fat out of a beverage to deliver a more low-fat beverage to consumers, you also pull away some of the omega-3s. And we are working on a way to re-enrich that beverage with the omega-3 content, and we're calling that NutriBoost technology, for lack of better words. So we are leveraging the natural phytonutrients and natural benefits of the walnut. We're not going to be delivering something that's watery, like a lot of other plant-based milks, it will be high in phytonutrients and high in omega-3s, and then we'll be leveraging those other clinically studied superfoods like blueberries and turmeric and ginger to really provide a cognitive boost for consumers that tastes good. So how would you say that you're setting your walnut milk apart from you know what consumers can, can already get? 
The one thing that really sets us apart and our brand Brain Milk apart is that we have this robust research collaboration with Penn State University. So we will be delivering a functional beverage that has clinical research to support our claims for brain health. And we have secured a research collaboration with Dr. Penny Chris Etherton, who's a professor of nutrition at Penn State University, and she just so happens to be one of the world's foremost experts on nut-based nutrition. She's going to be helping us study our formulas in populations of patients, and actually we're going to be doing a, a trial that shows that our beverage is hopefully uh, beneficial from a cognitive health standpoint. We're providing consumers a convenient way of incorporating walnuts into their diet. It just so happens to be plant-based, and it will be one of the only functional beverages on the market that has clinical research to support our claims that one serving of brain milk supports healthy brain function. We really think this is something that people of all ages will enjoy. Um, we believe that one of our target consumers are 65 and older, people that are noticing their parents um, with cognitive decline and seeing what type of impact that has on their family. We live in a world where we're constantly bombarded by advertisements. People don't sleep enough. The lifestyle, the American lifestyle is, is contributing to a lot of cognitive complaints. One of the main complaints that my patients have in my clinic is that they have fatigue and brain fog. So we believe that this is a really hip product as well as a functional product that has health benefits associated with it. Our first phase of research is, is laboratory-based research that essentially validates that it has our beverage has the omega-3 content that we say it has, our beverage has the phytonutrients that we say it has, and it also validates the calories and everything on our nutrition facts labels. Um, and then phase two and phase three of our research will be the clinical research where we're actually studying the product in people. Now it's back to the UK for Vegware, which is a packaging company that creates products that are compostable. And it has just launched some new 4-ounce gelato cups that can handle both hot and cold products. And they're perfect for ice cream parlours as well as many other applications. To tell us more about the products and the company, which is located in Edinburgh in Scotland, is the company's brand communication lead, Arthi Aurora McLean. So Vegware is headquartered in Edinburgh, UK, and uh, we've been around since 2006. And basically the focus of the company is that we manufacture plant-based compostable food service packaging. We do that using basically plant-made materials that are going to be renewable, recycled, or reclaimed materials. And everything that we make, which is more than 350 products, is all commercially compostable with food waste within commercial composting facilities. We are a global company, so although we're headquartered in the UK, we do have further operational bases in the UK, within the US, and in Australia and Hong Kong. But that said, we also do sell our products worldwide, and we currently sell to 70 countries across the globe. 
you mentioned about starting in 2006. I mean, mm -hmm. recycling and sustainability was kind of on the radar then, but not anywhere near as much as it is now. It must have really changed in the last decade. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a dynamic landscape. And I think that it's a lot of it is just due to the public um, having raised awareness around the issues with recycling. So the way it's been when it comes to food service in particular is that when there is conventional plastic, um, conventional packaging in use, um, it's using a mix of materials such as paper, cardboard, and plastic. And once it is stained with food or drink residue, it's hard to recycle that. And in, within the UK, we really just don't have the infrastructure to recycle that. So therefore, that's where our products come in as sort of being the true solution to food service because it can you can dispose of within your food package uh, food waste and packaging bin you can dispose of your used vegware with along with any leftover food along with any leftover drink and that can all go together to a commercial composting facility where it gets processed and in under 12 weeks you have nutrient rich compost that goes back to feed the local farmer fields Right. I would imagine that a lot of your products, especially the new ones that have just come out, these gelato pots are probably in like little ice cream stores and ice cream parlors across the country, uh, which would mean that people would kind of buy the product and then walk around with it. And how do you get the message out to people like that, that this is recyclable so that they don't just walk around and toss it in a bin? Yeah, definitely. So at the end of the day, I think when it when it comes to our packaging, you're right with those gelato pots in particular, it is something that helps with portion control. Um, it actually can take hot or cold food. So definitely it's targeted towards um, ice cream shops and anyone who sells ice cream. So if it's a food truck or things like this as well. But if they wanted to add a, a warmed um, caramel sauce or a hot chocolate sauce to it, there would be no issues because the container can take hot or cold food. But we do a lot to just basically educate clients, potential clients, as well as the end users, those consumers, about our products and the fact that they are compostable. The key with us is that it is commercially compostable. So essentially, it means that it does need to go to a certain kind of facility in order for it to be composted. And a lot of our clients, for example, if they are doing takeaways, just takeaway ice cream in this instance, um, they can encourage their customers to come and return it back to the shop. And hopefully they have a composting um, option within their region, which Vegware's environmental team could help set up for them and let them know of the options. If that option isn't available just because every region is different within the UK, there is um, a partnership we have with an organization called First Mile where once you collect a certain amount of volume, it can all be posted back to First Mile. It's essentially a post-back service, and they take care of processing the used vegware and composting it for you. I guess social media must be quite important in trying to get this message out as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, it is an education process using multiple channels. So social media is a great way for us to go out there and explain the differences between biodegradable, compostable, and recyclable to educate people about our products, to be completely transparent that it's something where some people have had success with home composting our products, but it's not anything that we actively encourage. It really is about taking it to um, an industrial composting facility for it to be processed correctly. So social media, so we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and coming up with posts that are really um, showcasing the composting process. 
We do have videos, different kinds of educational videos, anything from an animated video that talks about the composting process to an actual um, VR 360 video where you can actually see from start to finish the whole composting process as well. So I'd say social media is definitely um, impactful. And you get really engaged consumers and clients, which is really exciting to be able to go and answer their questions and just help spread the word about compostables and how it is a true solution and food service, but just so that they can then pass that on to their friends and family and, and colleagues and all as well. So I'd say social media is definitely very impactful that way. But we also have messaging on pack. So, for example, with the gelato pot, it does say on it that it is a certified commercially compostable product. And we also have what we call the green leaf band, which is a design that we have that serves as a visual cue on the product so that whether you're eating the ice cream, you're the person serving the ice cream, you're the person who's hauling the waste and taking it to a composting facility, just that those multiple touch points, people can recognize that that's a Bejra product and it is certified for compostability in industrial setting. And I guess the more consumers learn about products such as this, they may in fact even go to places where they would buy ice cream to demand this kind of product? Yeah, it definitely comes from both sides of the equations. In terms of social media, we have clients who follow us, but we have end users who follow us as well. So I would say that there are lots of businesses out there, whether you're talking about large corporations or, or small independent cafes, that are looking to how they can better embrace an environmentally friendly business, you know, operations into their business. And the other end, you, are look, you do have consumers who are out there who are demanding from the bottom up, if you will, for having more eco-friendly products, you know, when they're having their food and drink. Right. And I suppose the, this kind of product would be not only great for the ice cream parlors, but also big events. It's the kind of thing that would work for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think because with this particular size being a four ounce, it does help us complete the full range um, because the containers that we have at the moment were six ounces all the way up to 32 ounce. So the four ounces in addition to that range. But just because of that unique size, it can definitely work at festivals festivals and events. So whether you're looking to serve um, ice cream at a food truck or whether you're looking to do sampling at an event, it can take, you know, just because of that size, it's perfect for sampling as well. So it can be for ice cream, but it can go beyond. It can be used for hot or cold food use. So if you've got warm nuts or popcorn, if you've got cold ice creams or just room temperature products, it can work for a variety of products, which is quite nice, especially with the sampling, uh, keeping sampling in mind. I suppose you would go to lots of events in the same way that I would, and a lot of those big shows are very sample-driven. Well, yeah, personally, I'm a, I'm a foodie myself, and um, I do love to go to food events and kind of scout out the latest trends um, in food and drink and definitely have an eye on packaging as well. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for event planners and for people who just kind of go on the circuit of doing festivals and pulling up their food trucks at events, it's definitely something that can help meet their needs. And what other packaging solutions do you have in your portfolio? Yeah, so with the gelato pot, it is just the one size and four ounce, but we do have six ounce all the way to 32 ounce in that same design. It could definitely be used for ice creams in those other sizes, but it could also be used for things like noodles, um, hot soups and stews and things like this. But um, beyond that, we have a multitude of other kinds of takeaway containers, everything from um, like just a, a fish and chips kind of style bagasse box to a salad box. We also have hot and cold cups, 
straws, cutlery, um, a variety of different kinds of bags, whether you're looking for um, a bag that's going to be in a hot cabinet or not. And we also design tableware. And I guess you probably can work with your customers to come up with bespoke packaging that meets their needs. Yeah, definitely. We definitely have um, a whole suite of different clients where if there's something in particular that they're looking for, we can look to design and manufacture it and just do a test. They, they, they can then test that to see if that suits their needs. So we very much work with um, clients directly for designing that, but also with, the, with their chefs as well, just because for chefs, of course, it's all about the food and the presentation. Um, I'd say everybody who works at Vesra is definitely a foodie as well. So that's really important for us is that we want to create stylish products that really showcase food first. And obviously because of sustainability and eco-friendly products, customers are willing to pay a little bit more, but are your products, say for the gelato cups, would it be economically viable for a small ice cream shop to use these? Yeah, essentially with Vegware, we work with a lot of distributors. So if if an ice cream shop was to get in touch with us, um, we would find out what region they live in and we would recommend either a national or regional distributor for them to get in touch with and they would relay the pricing to them. If somebody wanted to buy direct from us, it is available on our website, specifically for gelato pots. Someone can buy a pack of 50 for £2.25 or a case of 1000 for um, around £60. So I think that it is something that is economical that way. And plus, I think there's a lot of things to think about that goes beyond the monetary cost is that if you're thinking about the takeaway and the footfall that you would get from takeaway, the pots are great for, for that purpose. So that is attracting customers who want to take an ice cream on the go to go have a walk um, in town and eating their ice cream. Or if, they want to, if you're in an office environment, you want to take an ice cream from your company canteen back to your desk, for example. So I think it's also a way to gain sales and that natural footfall that way. Now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. After a strong week last week in butter, we did get a bit of a pullback this week, uh, but managed to preserve a lot of the gains from last week, really. September butter continued to trade around the 3600 level, and I guess the quotations were up slightly by around 15 euros, so that helped maintain that. Quarter four was around 40 euros lower to say the 3710 level and quarter one about 60 euros lower to more the 37.40, 37.50 level. Cream, on the other hand, was stronger on the week, uh, where trades of 4,500, 4,600 level uh, euros per tonne were up from maybe last week around 4,300 level, and the previous week where it had reached the, the 4,000 level, so it's had three strong weeks, uh, cream. Skimmel powder was also firmer in tone uh, this week, as rumours... Uh, I guess really went around uh, around another O'Neill tender. This is yet to be confirmed, but the view is that you know if they're to get deliveries in by October November, orders need to be booked soon. September skimmel powder was trading around the same level as last week at the twenty one seventy level. Quarter four was stronger at twenty one ninety, up around twenty euros, and and quarter one up around twenty five euros to twenty two fifteen. All very positive, really, for for skimmel powder. Way was lower, all right, uh, trading close, closer to the 660 level, down from around 680 last week. Thanks, Liam. We'll talk to you again next week. 
INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's all we have time for on this week's podcast. Next week will be September, so I'll give you a few of those odd day celebrations again. Hopefully one or two will make you either chuckle or shake your head in amazement. We might even have some guests as well. If not, it's going to be a short one. I could easily fill half an hour on my own, but probably only to an audience of one. So until then, have a great week and thanks for listening.